You're listening to the Premier Podcast Network. Welcome to the pinnacle of wrestling entertainment, Premier Streaming Network. Join us at watchonpremier.com to unlock the ultimate wrestling experience, curated to perfection. Immerse yourself in the spectacular world of wrestling history, where classic battles and unforgettable moments are at your fingertips. Join us today and experience the epitome of curated wrestling content, because when it comes to wrestling entertainment, Premier sets the standard. Be Premier. What's up, everybody? It's Marcus D'Angelo, and we are back for episode two of Everybody's Got a Pod. And of course, I'm joined by the million dollar man, WWE Hall of Famer and legend, Ted DiBiase. Ted, how are you feeling after your first week as a podcaster? Uh, I tell you what, I, I, I like it. I'm, I'm looking forward to this. I mean, I, it was kind of like when we started talking, I mean, I just started, things started just uh, jumping in my head. Thank you. You know, like I remember things that normally I would go, oh gosh, you know, like, you know, it's, and it's kind of like when I start talking wrestling, I start remembering things. Like if I'm with, I'm with and, and anytime I'm in a, in a group of wrestlers, somebody will say something and go, Hey, Hey, you remember when this happened or that happened? And, and then somebody goes, Oh, oh yeah. And it, it just, it just, it's like, it just reverberates off the walls. And so <laughs> uh, I'm going to hope that this continues to, you know, reverberate <laughs> <laughs> i'm thinking so man you know certainly uh we've got we got plenty of notes and we're gonna have plenty of notes every single week to cover for for each of our topics and yeah hey you know i know how it goes wrestling kind of gets in your blood once you start talking again i think next thing you know ted you're gonna be trying to do ted's last match what do you think oh well uh, <laughs> no, no, no you know in the words of the million dollar man everybody's got a price but you know you know uh Seven, uh, you know, I'll be 70 years old in January. My, My goodness, you know, uh, and and uh, you know, and people have told me they said, well, Golly, Ted, you don't, you don't look 70, you and, don't, uh, you know, uh, and I and I feel pretty good, but uh, I don't know if I feel good enough to get back in that ring and have a match. Uh, <laughs> well, now, I, I, I did that thing with Cameron Grimes, right? Yep, and I think we talked about that. You know, like they were going to have somebody kind of catch me and lay me down easy, and I said, "No, you're not. I'm going to take a pump just like I always did." <laughs> show you young yip, yipper snappers how it works, so, <laughs> and I did. And hey, look, I think the right circumstances. You know, a tag team. Uh, who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Maybe, maybe somebody could name the right price, and, and we could see uh, <laughs> one last run for the million dollar man. <laughs> well, hey, I will say this: you do look like a million bucks. You don't look like you're about to be seventy. So whatever you're doing, keep doing it. Uh, we'll do. We'll tell do me, that. tell me if the secret is beer, please. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, it's not. You know? <laughs> you know, well, it was, I it was didn't really share a uh, uh, beer drinking. Well, look, uh, before we get into our topic this week, which is WrestleMania 4, at the top of the show, I just wanted to remind everybody that you can get this podcast early and commercial-free with video when you go to and join Premiere Plus at PremierStreamingNetwork.com. That's Premier, P-R-E-M-I-E-R, StreamingNetwork.com. It's your destination for everybody's got a pod and exclusive videos and your favorite sports and entertainment events from around the world. If you're a wrestling fan, you, you've just got to check this out. Seriously, just get over there and have a look. And uh, I think you're going to like what you see. It's an incredible value. So just join up with Premiere Plus. And you can get this podcast early and commercial free. Come on, you can't beat that. Also wanted to mention, I've got this right here. Mr. DiBiase was kind enough to send this to me. Uh, we've got a free giveaway going over on our YouTube channel. All you've got to do is subscribe and you're eligible to win. I just showed you that signed Funko Pop. We've also got 11 signed autographed cards from the million dollar man himself you can be one of our winners just it's free just go over to youtube.com forward slash everybody's got a pod subscribe maybe hit the notifications bell if you want to and you are automatically eligible this is going to run the entire month of may so starting in june we're going to select our winners and then we'll probably do another one at some point so get over there subscribe you will not regret it 
Dead. Enough of that. Let's get into our subject this week. Uh, we're talking, of course, about WrestleMania 4. And this week, we're starting out with Meltzer going out of his way to put you over again. Following a house show match with you and Virgil facing Hogan and Bigelow, we have this in the February 15th Observer. Without question, DiBiase is the single most perfect opponent for Hogan in this country as far as working. He has this knack for getting the most out of Hogan. So, uh, Ted, we discussed it last week on on the podcast. Hogan wasn't necessarily considered the best ring technician out there, but you were at the top of your game. Uh, did you feel like there was some kind of a trick to getting the best out of Hogan, or what was your method when you climbed into the well, ring with him? You know, not really. I, I never had any, any problem with the Hulkster, uh, and it was kind of like, um, it's, I guess, in terms of wrestling psychology, you know, how do you as a heel, you know, work with a big guy? Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and that was the deal. It's kind of like, you know, Hulk Hogan is not a guy uh, who should ever be doing hip tosses and uh, reverse arm locks and, and you know, you know, on the mat wrestling. I mean, that's not what big guys do. And so, you know, I try to tailor my match with him and anybody else that size. It's kind of like, uh, it's like I, I look at it from a, from a realistic view. If I if like I get in the ring with this guy and we, we lock up, and then he, I I would have him just I said push me off, and he'd push me off, and man, I'd take a bump mm-hmm. and get back up to my feet and go whoa, and then circle around and and and, and make it obvious to the people that I'm thinking, I'm, I'm thinking like, you know, what do I, what do I have to do to get this guy, you know? And, or I would, you know, uh, I'd grab a headlock on him, you know, and, you know, and he, he actually pushed me off, a, off of a headlock or pick me up and kind of toss me away. And, um, anyway, it was just the psychology of it, but I never had, I had never, I had never had, never had any trouble with, the, with the Hulkster in terms of what he could do and what he couldn't, couldn't do and and uh, and just anybody that I wrestled, uh, I always looked at that. I mean, I would uh, and this is old school. I would study guys. I would go and, and watch guys that I knew I was about to have, you know, matches with. Mm-hmm. I hadn't wrestled them, and uh, and I I saw what they did well, and I saw what they didn't do so well, and I would incorporate all the things that I knew they could do well into the match. And I would try to stay away from things that, you know, either I thought they shouldn't be doing as a big guy or weren't, or, or didn't do very well. And, and so that, that was just the way I, you know, that was, that's old school uh, psychology and, and it works. So, man, it's, I, I want our, our listeners to think about that for a second, because, you know, I, I don't suppose, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I, I would not guess that there were a lot of guys back in your era who were sitting down and watching film of their opponents. You know, it was kind of like this, this it, it seems like a chaotic, like, okay, you get to TV, hey, you're working with this guy, you go out there and you work with the guy, and next thing you know, you're in a program with him, and really, like, you know, everybody's trying to get to the next town, uh, but here you are, you're studying film on the guy. Uh, did Did a lot of people do that? Well, it wasn't so much me... Uh studying film i mean if, if there was a show on you know i i would watch but i mean i you know in the arenas and at the at at the tvs or where, wherever i could you know when i when i knew i was going to you know that i was going in that direction that i'd be in, in the ring with him and i would just study uh I, i'd go and watch the matches it's kind of like uh um it's funny i always did that i mean it was just an old school thing I would always go out and watch the match right before my match. And people said, why? I said, so I wouldn't repeat what they did. Mm. You know, if, 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 if they had, and, and they were, if like, like, just for a small example, like, you know, uh, one, one guy in the, in the, in the match was, uh, you know, like work, work, say, wait, work in the arm. Like, you know, he was, he's got his arm and he's doing these things that involved the arm and, 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 you know, or, or he worked a headlock or he worked a leg. Well, I would not work those body parts. I would, I would go somewhere else. I would try to make my match, uh, you know, unique, different stand out. 
And man, no wonder Meltzer is putting you over as, as being such a great wrestler. <laughs> like you're, you're kind of going above and beyond here. Uh, that's that's really fascinating. Uh, you know, we talked about Hogan here a second ago, and I wanted to ask, would you, you know, you're paired up with Randy Savage and all's well that ends well because you guys had put on a hell of a match. And as you mentioned, it's the first time you got to, to work with him and it was great. But, you know, on the surface, are, when you're finding out you're working with Savage as opposed to being, uh, you know, in the main event of WrestleMania against Hogan, would there have been any disappointment? Uh, hmm. uh, well, WrestleMania, WrestleMania for um, actually ended up being Savage. Mm-hmm. You know, and and, and it, it was the main event because we ended up being the last two guys you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's that's when we had you know we had that match and that WrestleMania for Savage wins becomes the you know the uh, the, the world champion and I and I go on on that run. But the thing is, you know Hogan Hogan was involved. I mean a lot of the matches that I had, uh, I mean it, what it what it was it was a lot of uh, Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan against Andre the Giant and Ted DiBiase. Mm-hmm. You know, so, um, no, nah, you know, I wasn't, you know, again, I look at it, you know, it's kind of like, maybe I sound like the million dollar man now. I look at it from the financial view, right? You know, what is going to make me the most money? Uh, would a, would a run with the world title, uh, make me a little more money? It, it might have, but it would have been very short lived. That's what I'm saying. Yes. As a heel. Now, if I was a baby face, if I was if I was a Randy Savage, and actually I'm the guy who turned Randy Savage baby face, right? Because up until that time, you know, he you know he was a bad guy, and so then you know when he beat me and he became champ, then he became a baby face, and uh, that that would be different. But as a heel, you know, uh, you know, I just I, I study my opponents, and and you know that's what it's about fascinating and a cool perspective you know i think that a lot of people on the surface would have said like ah man you know it's uh, hogan was the biggest star in the industry and i would have liked to have worked with him in the main event however just from a financial standpoint as you pointed out it's like look you're you're the heel in the main event at wrestlemania so either way you're walking away with probably a pretty nice paycheck uh so yeah really really nothing to complain about Uh, now the the only money i probably money lost obviously if you're the world champion you know, I guess there's some extra bucks that come along with being that. But like I said before, I wouldn't have been that champion very long. Because, again, you know, Vince McMahon had made wrestling family entertainment. And I I started getting it. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, and once I started to understand what he was doing, I said, this is a stroke of genius, really. You know, he's taken wrestling, which was pretty much a, uh, you know, like, a, you know, uh you know, you weren't going to see a lot of, uh, uh, you know, polo shirts and, and khaki pants at the wrestling matches. <laughs> it was, you know, like it was, you know, like that, you know, it, it wasn't that type of deal. And what, you know, uh, like uh, we call it blue uh, wrestling was blue collar crowd form of entertainment. Yes. Up until, you know, Vince McMahon taking it and targeting children with it, you know, and making action figures and all that stuff. And of course, you know, if you have a good guys, you know, you got to have your bad guys too for them to battle. And so I, I, I got that. And I understood that had I won the world title, I was going to keep that very long because the kids, the market now that the Vince is, is, is targeting, they want the champion to be their, you know, their hero. A cool perspective, like a businessman's perspective on it. You know, you're, you're thinking with your head instead of your heart. And I, I think that that's awesome and pretty rare, really, when it comes to yeah, wrestling. Well, you got to get your ego out of it. You know, that's, you know, it's a, it's a business. And, and you know, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in the business to make money. So, well, uh, <laughs> perfectly said, like the million dollar man. Uh, the February 22nd Observer is the first time that Dave mentioned the tournament concept for WrestleMania. I've heard uh, some people say over the years that they love tournaments, while others say they're pointless because, you know, you get to the final couple matches or rounds and, and that's when you you can really pay attention. Uh, what do you think of the, the tournament concept overall? Uh, you know, I don't, I, I really don't know. I, I've never really 
thought that hard about it. Um, um, but, uh, you know, it, a tournament could be exciting, uh, you know, if you put the right people against each other. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as a fan, you're watching that and you're going, okay, you know, because the fans do that. They go, oh, you know, here's what here's what I think is going to happen. This guy's going to beat this guy. This guy's going to beat that guy. It's going to end up these two guys. And and then, then then you watch to see if what you think is is what really happens. And and that in that way, it's like I you know uh, I think it's it's pretty cool. But um, it wasn't it wouldn't be something I would do all the time. But in but in this instant instance it fit well i i did want to ask too when it comes to this uh, tournament concept all of a sudden ted you're looking at working three times in one night do this tournament yeah. um i mean how did you feel about it in your head are you already thinking like yeah i'm probably going to get a larger payday because i'm putting in extra work uh well i don't know if i thought of it that way <laughs> but uh <laughs> i mean i just had to gear up for it i mean i you know tell I, you know I, here's what i said to a lot of people i go you know it's really cool for a lot of guys, uh, guys that are in the business that, you know, worked hard to get there and everything. And they said, I got to wrestle at WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. I said, but not very many of them can say, I got to wrestle three times in one <laughs> WrestleMania. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's incredible and it speaks speaks a lot to uh, how Vince viewed you being able to kind of carry the carry yeah. the load like that. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I'm trying to think if anybody else has ever done three minutes, maybe Daniel Bryan. I can't remember WrestleMania 30. I don't, I don't remember if you worked two or three, but man, it's remarkable uh, to, to be sure. Uh, in the February 29th Observer, Meltzer makes mention that while Vince has all hands on deck promoting WrestleMania 4, Jim Crockett Promotions just announced a TV special that will run at the same time. This would, of course, be the first clash of the champions featuring Flair and Sting on top in what would be a, uh, a, a classic bout. So, Ted, here you are. You're in the biggest wrestling promotion in the world, and you're about to main event the biggest show of the year. And now JCP is about to steal a big chunk of the audience with a free offering to counter WWF's pay-per-view. Would you have been disappointed hearing the news, or did you even hear about it at the time? Uh, you know, I, I, I don't, in my opinion, it, it didn't affect us that much. You know, I mean, I mean, the, the WWF as, at the time was so strong. I mean, you know, I... No, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't concerned about it. I mean, actually, I was glad they were doing that, you know, and, and because here, here's the thing, competition is always good for business. Yes. And not just, and competition is also always good for the wrestlers. Mm-hmm. Because if you've got competition and somebody's nipping your heels, then the guy in charge is, uh, also going to pay you a little bit better to get the best out of you. So, and, or, and, you know, in other words, and, uh, you know, you, if you get paid better, obviously that's an, that's the best way to make sure that guy doesn't leave you. Yes. So anyway, it was good for the guy. It was good for talent. Well, I mean, we look at the Monday Night Wars uh, and, you know, business was as hot as it's ever been because of the competition. Yeah, you exactly. Know? Exactly. That's a, that's a great, that's a great example. Right. And uh, but, you know, Vince is here actively trying to eliminate competition himself. You know, famously in the fall of 87, Vince would create the Survivor Series concept to counter JCP's Starcade. And then again, in January of 88, JCP is running a bunkhouse stampede and Vince created the Royal Rumble uh, and put it on TV to distract from them. So he's going as, as far as issuing ultimatums to cable providers saying that if they carried JCP's pay-per-views, that he would not allow them to carry WrestleMania. So, I mean, Ted, you grew up in the business and uh, you cut your teeth in the territories. And here's, you know, the, your new boss is essentially trying to create a monopoly in professional wrestling. Uh, what, did, what did you think of that on the surface? Uh, you know, I, I, you know, I don't know. I was like, uh, I got it. You know, I mean, I, I mean, you know, like, you know, I never talked a whole lot about it, but I always felt like, well, I'm, I'm glad we're having a war. Mm-hmm. I said, because competition is always, it's, it's, it's always good for business and it's good for everybody's business. For sure. In other words, you know, whoever that, whoever the underdog is in that, you know, uh, you know, more power to him too, because 
now fans are going to have have a choice and it's going to make it's going to make both companies work harder to earn that dollar and they comp you know like what 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 made america great competition that's you it know, it's like there wasn't uh you know, nobody had a monopoly. You know, because people have tried to have make monopolies. Maybe that's what Vince was trying to do, but uh, in reality, having competition was was good for him. I think. Yeah, and you know, it's look if it, if it could have stayed with you know punch counter punch back and forth between the two, I, I you know I think long term success was inevitable. But uh, after a while, JCP just couldn't counter punch anymore. You know, Vince yeah. Vince yeah. just out outdid them in in every way, shape, and form. Uh, so I mentioned Flair a moment ago, and uh, Meltzer had this to say at around this time. I thought it was interesting. I wanted to hear your take on it. On his good nights, Ted may be the best worker in the U.S., but for night-after-night consistency, he can't touch Flair. So that's just Dave's opinion. Um, But you and Flair are about to be on opposing main events. So I'm curious, how would you have compared yourself to the Nature Boy as a worker at this time? Um, You know, I would compare myself with him. I mean, I I would say I'm on an equal Mm -hmm. equal level with him. I mean, I would not... uh, you know, I understood that, you know, like when you're, you know, like I, I said in the last podcast, when you're the champion, especially when it was the NWA world title, the NWA was, a, a, you know, like there was, you know, the WWF was basically, well, until Vince did made the move and went national and he told everybody, you know, I mean, he went around to all those promotions and said, here's what I'm about to do. You know, I'm giving you an opportunity to join me. And if you don't want to join me, that's okay. But just, I'm coming. He told the whole wrestling world. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I mean, you're the NWA world champion. And that champion would go to all the territories and wrestle basically the top baby faces in, the, in those territories. And his job was to make that guy. Yes. You know, it's like he, he doesn't lose the belt, but he, he, he makes that guy look like the champion. And, uh, and you got to know what to do and you, you know, and every, and every guy you work with is going to have a different style. And, uh, and just so you know, my name was in that hat. Yes. My name was in the hat, you know, it was me, Dusty and Flair and Dusty and Flair both ended up being the champion, you know, for the NWA, you know, and I didn't because I left and went to New York. Right. Uh, I don't know so, how many of our know, listeners. I, I don't. Know that. I don't know that I would agree with uh, who who said that about me. Uh, Dave Meltzer and I don't agree either. Um, yeah. You know, as, as somebody who uh, you know has watched both of your work from this era, I I honestly believe, and I'm going to sound biased because I'm your co-host here, but I honestly believe that you were the best worker on the face of the planet at this time. Um, you know, your your character tends to kind of overshadow everything. Everybody just remembers your laugh and the suits and the million dollar belt and everything. Guys, I would urge you to go back and watch uh, Ted in 1988 and watch the kind of work that he was doing. He was he was incredible. Uh, you were you were putting in incredible work. And uh, yeah, so I don't agree with it either. And, I know that Fl- Flair is often revered, but no, you were right. Oh, there. And I, hey, listen, Rick and I are are, are, are good friends. And, and he was oh, he was he was definitely. Yeah. I mean, he 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 had it. No, no doubt. And uh but even and here's the other thing. But if you, if you watch Flair enough, there are certain things Flair does in every match, and and it's it's kind of like I, I can I can see him coming. You know, that at some point he's going to do this thing, and he's gonna he's gonna take a a, a face bump, and uh, you know, you know, he goes to the top rope, you know, and you're no no no, and then somebody's going to slam him off of it. And, uh, there's just things that I see him do that I saw him do in, in all, in all of his matches. But uh, mm-hmm. again, but no, I mean, uh, uh, for consistency and, and, and being the guy and, 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 and I tell you what, being the world champion was tough because your match almost every night was an hour long. Right. You were going to go an hour, you know, and, you know, and, and unless you beat somebody, uh, you were going to go an hour who, with the, whoever that guy was. So you had to, you had to be, in, in great shape to do it and he and rick did it well uh, you know i have 
And no his work. credit, when when you're going from territory to territory, as, as you mentioned, uh, you're not working with Steamboat every night. Sometimes no. sometimes you're coming into territories and it's just some dude uh, who happens to be the best guy there yeah. uh, who is, you know, who couldn't lace your boots. Uh, right. So. Right. So, yeah, it's uh, kudos to Flair. But, man, it's again, folks, go and watch Ted in 88. He was phenomenal. Um, so as we inch closer to WrestleMania, here's another tidbit, March 3rd Observer. And I'd, I'd like to hear your take on it. Um, let me preface this by saying that Meltzer is kind of he, he's he baby faces you. He goes heel on this a little bit. Um, so I'm interested to hear uh, how you feel by the end of it. A few weeks back, virtually everyone inside was saying that Ted DiBiase would win, which makes sense since it sets up Titans 829 pay-per-view card in which Ted can drop the title to Hogan. However, even though I fully agree that DiBiase is the best wrestler in the WWF and probably the best at this stage of his career of anyone who has worked for Titan in 15 years, he can't draw his champion. That may be immaterial since Titan can't draw for months after WrestleMania anyway, and at certain times of the year, really can only draw when Hogan is on the card. So there may be no answer to Titan's summer drawing problems for this year anyway. So uh, he continues, DiBiase didn't draw in his one-week dry run as champion in California, traditionally Titan's hottest corner of the U.S., aside from the Northeast. And his main event last Monday at the Garden with Bam Bam Bigelow drew the smallest MSG crowd in years. Still, nobody but Hogan himself is going to sell out buildings at this summer. So, uh, again, just Meltzer's opinion. But the, the thing about, about that is that Nobody recognized me as the real champion. Right. You understand? Yes. I mean, that's the deal. I mean, uh, I have the belt, but I didn't have the belt because I beat Hogan. I had the belt because I bought it from Andre, you know, as the storyline went. So that, you know, you know, you gotta, you, you can't, you can't forget about that when you're looking at this. We have to put it into context. Yeah, you got to put you got to got to put it into context. You know, like nobody saw me as the real world champion. Now, if I had gone out there and and had a match uh, like a single match with Hogan, and and we go neck and neck and neck, and, and you know we 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 put in the time and and somehow I win, then I think you know yeah then yeah then I think I would have had that crowd for sure. But just to say that, you know, based on what he's saying, to say I, I couldn't draw, that's ridiculous. Agree. It's kind of like a, an elementary school way to look at it, like just very yeah. basic, uh, bland, without, again, without taking the, the full thing into context. Uh, you know, I, I do want to ask, and he, he mentioned it here, and I think that you and I touched on it uh, lightly last week. Um, but you would wear the belt at a handful of untelevised events in some uh, big cities, and you're introduced by the ring announcer as the WWF champion. Yeah. Um, and years later, Vince would do the same thing with Luger as well um, to get a gauge for how the audience would react to seeing him with the belt. Yeah. Uh, you know, I know we all know how it turned out. You wound up being the million dollar champion. It was way better. But at this time, did you feel like Vince was trying to assess you as his champion during these appearances? Uh, you know, I never really thought about it. Mm hmm. You know, I mean, I, I knew what we were doing uh, and, and I, I knew that they were going to, you know, uh, what was coming, you know, like, well, you didn't really win the belt, you know, so we're going to have this tournament. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, and uh, just to put things into further context with the with the Meltzer remarks, uh, he relies on secondhand information for almost everything where somebody's telling him, hey, here's what the reaction was like at this house. You know, so it's uh, again, he's not putting it into context. He's relying on secondhand information. So I want to hear your uh, recollection of it. Do you remember what kind of reactions you were getting from the crowd when you came out with the belt? A lot of heat. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Of course. A lot of heat, you know, because everybody knew, knew you know, it's kind of like you didn't win it. You right. Know? You know, it's like, you know, it's like, um, you know, my whole my whole thing and in, in the character of the million dollar man is I'm going to prove to you that I can. I can buy anything, including the world title, you know? And so Andre is going to beat Hogan. I'm going to be the champion because he's going to sell me the title. That was the story. And that's what we ran with, you know, and, 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 you know, uh, and again, like, like I said, we ended up in a lot of now when it, when it got to be Hogan and Savage against Andre and Ted, all oh, that blew, that was big. That was huge. Again, you know, it's like, um, regardless of what Meltzer says. Uh, and again, it's always, it's always a vote. 
uh, and the WWF took off and, and became this uh, superpower that, you know, I mean, basically all of the territories went away. But there's a whole lot of wrestlers and there were a whole lot of territories. And when it came down to who's going to be the next NWA World Heavyweight Champion, there were only three names in the hat. Yep. DiBiase, Dusty Rhodes, and Ric Flair. And Dusty and Rick both ended up having that. I didn't because I, I went to New York. But you, uh, in all likelihood, would have. I would know have. that exactly. I know that that's how they viewed you. And yeah, I think that that's kind of an underrated part of this whole story. And it's something we're going to discuss eventually in, in long form whenever we talk about your arrival in the, the WWF uh, in 87. But before he was going to the WWF, Ted, Ted had an offer from JCP. And I believe that you had agreed kind of in principle on the surface to, to join them. And then Vince all of a sudden said, hey, I've got this really incredible gimmick and I want to talk to you about it. And next thing you know, you're headed off to New York. But I've, I've heard Flair say it. I've heard a lot of people say it. Not only would you have been champion, but Flair himself has even said, like, I wanted Ted to be in the Four Horsemen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, and, you know, the other thing that was going on at that time is I had this tremendous deal in Japan. Yes. I mean, I, I was uh, Stan Hansen. Stan Hansen and Bruiser Brody were probably two of the biggest gaijin foreign wrestlers ever in Japan. Yep. I mean, they were huge. And then uh, Brody jumped ship and went from all Japan to New Japan. And Stan needed a new partner. And he came to me. And he says, Ted, he says, yeah, you want the job? I said, hell yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> you know, and I, my, I I put on the shaps and the vest and the whole deal. I don't know if anybody's seen that. I don't know if you can find a picture of that. But, uh, <laughs> but, but I did that. And, of course, that was going on. And... Uh, I can remember sitting in the back of uh, the Houston Coliseum talking to Bruce Pritchard, you know, and I was getting ready to go to Japan and, uh, and Bruce said, well, he says, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to fly up to New York, you know, and see about getting a job up there uh, next week. And I just told, I just said, Hey, Hey, Bruce, I said, uh, throw my name out. They know me up there. I, I was, I was there once, you know, back, you know, it was back when, uh, Vince senior was still, the boss, but they know me to see if they're interested. I got, I, I remember coming back to the hotel in Tokyo from one of the trips and at the front desk, I had a message and it said, call Bruce Pritchard ASAP. And so I called Bruce and he said, not only is he interested, he's extremely interested. And he said, so whatever you do. And the other thing that happened on that trip, I, when I went to Japan was when I got back to Mid-South, Bill Watts had sold his territory to Crockett. <laughs> right. And so, and, and then that's the other thing I was told. Uh, he says, do not do a job for anybody, you know, because uh, you're, you know, until you, until this thing is, is settled. And so, uh, you know, I, you know, I, you know, I had my, my allegiance was to Bill Watts and he, he saw, cause he saw it coming. That's how smart Bill was. He said, I, you know, I, I, I didn't have the wherewithal or the money to fight Vince. It was just too big. And so he says, I, I got out and, and I, I sold out, but that, that was the deal. It's like, whatever you do, do not uh, sign a contract with Jim Crockett or that organization until you have a chance talk to Vince McMahon and the rest is history man I cannot wait to talk about uh the final days of uh the UWF or Mid-South or, or whatever you want to call it and your your entry into the WWF before we move on though I did want to mention something that you let, let's uh let's hammer home this point uh Ted is in Japan replacing Bruiser Brody and so like Bruiser Brody was a massive massive stars so is stan hansen and yeah. so for ted to get that spot i mean you want to talk about a vote of confidence for you to yeah. become stan hansen's tag team partner absolutely huge isn't it yeah it was huge it was huge i mean and, and i was uh and i you know i i've been making annual trips to japan i'd make one trip to japan a year and and then uh but when this thing came up and when, when, when Stan approached me about it, he said, you know, look, I, I, I need a new partner. And, uh, you know, I, I want to, he says, I want to know if you, if you're, if you'd be interested. 
I said, are you serious? <laughs> I mean, here's, here's the deal. If I had taken that and kept it, I, I could have been like Stan. I could have just gone to Japan uh, five or six times a year and, and I would have made big money. I mean, I was, uh, okay, back then, now this what what year was that? 80 what? 80, uh, 87. Okay. I was making $1,000 a night in Japan. That is big money. And I mean, you know, that's that's big money now for most yeah. households. 1987. Holy smokes. Yeah. And so, but I, the other thing that I had to consider was, was just that. It's like, if I'm going to remain uh, a name or if I'm going to be, be relevant in my own country, you know, then I have no choice but to go to work for Vince. Yep. And, uh, and like I said, you know, uh, when I got that message from, uh, from Pritchard, you know, he said, man, he's really interested in you. And I said, great. And so, uh, I went back and waited for the call and took the, took the trip to New York and the rest is history. Man, you got the gimmick that Vince has often said that he would have taken himself if he had been able to be a professional wrestler. I said uh, it. I, t I told everybody, I said, if Vince could have been a character in his own show, he'd have been me. Yeah. He would have been the million dollar man. All right, guys, let's take a little break from talking about the wrestling business to talk about getting down to business with a little help from Blue Chew. Guys, let's just take a minute to talk about sex. Remember back in the day when you were just always ready to go, 18, 19 years old, your glory days? Well, Blue Chew is ready to bring your glory days back to the bedroom and help increase your performance and regain that old confidence in bed. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra, Cialis, and Levitra, but in chewable tablets and at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, so that you can plan ahead or be ready whenever the opportunity arises. The process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. You want to hear the best part? It's all done online. Forget about the doctor's office. No weird conversations. No more waiting in line at the pharmacy. Blue Chew's tablets are made in the USA and prepared and shipped direct to your door in a discreet package. But as we all like to say, there will be absolutely nothing discreet about your package. I know what you're thinking. Does it work? Well, that might be the best part of all this. With our deal, you can try it for a month for free. All you have to do is pay $5 shipping. This whole time, you and your partner could have been having the best sex of your life, and maybe you've been missing out on it without even knowing it. So why not just give Blue Chew a shot and find out for yourself? Women are attracted to confidence. We know that. And Blue Chew can help give you back your confidence where it counts. Don't wait any longer. Chew it and do it. Take advantage of our special deal. Again, you can try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code EGAP at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's it. It's bluechew.com, promo code EGAP, to receive your first month for free. Visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. And we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring the podcast. You know, <laughs> just awesome. And I mean, what a what a cool position for you to be in. And here you are in another great position. You know, it's uh, again uh, for full context. You are not even a full year into your run with uh, the WWF, and you're about to headline WrestleMania in Atlantic City. Uh, you're set for one of the biggest nights of your career, Ted. And before we get into it, though, I do want to ask, had you seen WrestleMania three, that huge spectacle at the Silverdome? I didn't see it. I, no, I didn't. I didn't. I've never gone back and like watched the whole show. I've, I've seen segments of it, but I, I remember I still remember. I, I, I'm not sure what town I was in. I was in Mid-South somewhere, but I still remember uh, opening my uh, my hotel room door and there was a newspaper. I picked that newspaper up. It says WWF sets indoor world attendance record. <laughs> 93,000 people at the Pontiac Silverdome. And that's when I said, I mean, I said it right then. I said, 
if I'm going to remain relative in the business, then I'm going to have to go to work for vets. Um, so, I mean, incredible, Ted, you know, you, you, uh, you get this newspaper and it says 93,000 people at the Pontiac Silver Dome. And then a year later, here you are and you're, yeah. you yourself are at WrestleMania. However, there's, there's a, a bit of a difference. You know, it was at the Pontiac Silver Dome for WrestleMania three, but now it's at the Trump Plaza, uh, which seats less than 20,000 people. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, and I was like, I was kind of like, <laughs> really? We're going to have WrestleMania here? I was prepared myself for all oh, gosh, man, we're going to really blow this thing out. But, right. Yeah. A massive. Not only, not only was WrestleMania four there, WrestleMania five. Was it, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. WrestleMania five was there too. Yep. Yeah. And that's the first time I met uh, Donald Trump. So uh, you mentioned it and that's one of our fan questions this week, but let's, let's just hit it right now. Uh, what, any interactions with Donald Trump? What do you remember? You know, I, not not really. I mean, you know, I mean, uh, I don't know how long Vince and he knew each other, or or maybe it was, maybe it was because of considering having the match there that he that he got uh, aligned with Trump. But actually, no. I you know I I, I met the guy and, and uh, I mean he was very cordial and everything and uh, and you know and I said uh, I, I I just jokingly said. Uh, uh, obviously, you are the real version of me. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he got a chuckle out of that. So, uh, but no, it was it was it was good. Well, look, you know, folks, uh, political preferences aside, we won't get into all that. However, I mean, you you met, shook hands with, talked with a future president of the United States. I mean, it's it's incredible. Yeah. No, no matter yeah. how you slice it, really cool. Yeah. Um, well, there's another factor to consider here when it comes to the casino, and that's what's called a casino buy. Uh, the casino bought a bunch of seats in the arena to give away to high rollers, including premium seats that were at ringside. Uh, so the result is an audience that's composed of a lot of people that weren't necessarily wrestling fans. <clears throat> and uh, so, I mean, you worked the second match that night with our mutual friend Jim Duggan. Did you notice that the crowd was a little less enthusiastic, or, or uh, what was your feel for I, it? I didn't notice any difference. I really didn't. I, you know, I didn't, I, I, I really didn't notice any difference at all. Well, let me say, uh, I, I went back and watched the event and, um, for your matches, certainly the main event, the crowd is absolutely electric. Uh, it really is. However, uh, Jake and I covered WrestleMania four on a recent episode of our podcast, the snake pit. And during his match, they were dead and they were kind of they were kind of booing now look uh i think jake shoulders a little bit of the blame uh, for that but he he shouldn't it's not his fault uh because i you know there's also 16 matches on this card so well, yeah and 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 you know and again you know taking nothing away from Raven jake jake's one of the greatest workers of all time yes and uh, uh, uh but again the story the story you know going into wrestlemania you know, didn't involve him. The story, the big story going into WrestleMania involved me. The fact that, you know, the whole deal with uh, uh, Andre getting the belt and presenting it to me and then they, they, they take it away from me and, you know, the whole, you know, the whole tournament deal, you know. So, you know, I, I would say that is one of the reasons that I got a lot more response because I was one of the key players of WrestleMania 4. Yes, and uh, also you're not just the hottest heel in the WWF. Uh, you could make an argument that you were the hottest heel in the entire wrestling industry. So, I mean, you are going to get reactions when you're when you're coming out uh, because people wanted to see you lose. But here, you know, you're just kind of out wrestling, out thinking people on the way to this, you know, through this this tournament on and you know to claim this title. Uh, yeah. So it was it was a cool story. So it's hard to blame fans for getting so into it. Yeah. Uh, so uh, JCP did wind up hurting you guys a little bit. The buy rate was down from the year prior uh, pretty significantly. And uh, one cable TV operator said uh, something to the effect of that idiot McMahon uh, devalued his, his own attraction by not putting Hulk Hogan in the main event. So I, I don't really know about how accurate that statement was. Uh, but I do want to ask you, you know, knowing that you won't be standing across from Hogan in the main event. And we, we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier. Not really all that disappointed, right? Like, cause, cause you're like, Hey, look, you know, it's about the money. It's not necessarily about the yeah. spectacle. See, I, and, and, and here's the thing. See, you know, I know, I know, 
That was you heard that from a fan's perspective, uh, like a cable TV operator. Oh, oh yeah, who's, who's oh, not but, in the but, business? But, yeah, but from, but from a wrestler's perspective, when you know where we're going, it made all the sense in the world. Right. You know, because because you know uh, when WrestleMania is over, and you know, and Randy's the the champion now, and then the way things then started to turn out, and you know the the tag matches all over the country, uh, Savage and, and Hogan and, uh, you know, me and Andre. And basically I, I really think, I don't know how long, how long had Randy been there? Uh, gosh, I, I want to say that Randy showed up in the company in either 84, or 85. Yeah. Um, but you know, was he, but this was, this was really the jump for him, wasn't it? It was. It was. This is what launched him into yeah. uh, from from the mid card into the main event, so to speak. Right, and 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 again, that that's significant. So, you know, the rub I had with Hogan, and then obviously now the rub that I'm having with Savage, and I'm going uh, everywhere. And I'm either I'm either main eventing and having rematches with Savage, or I'm having uh, tag team matches, and my partners. The eighth wonder of the world, Andre the Giant. <laughs> Talk about a rub, you know. My God, that 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 you know, all of that, all of that helped elevate my per- persona. Right, I, I and yeah. so huge, huge stars, and Savage was kind of starting to climb the mountain, but pretty soon he's going to have that Slim Jim deal, and all of a sudden his voice is going to be this kind of really iconic thing that's associated with pro wrestling. So it's, I mean, yeah, to, to say that you're getting the rub certainly an, an understatement. Um, and uh, you're giving the rub to, again, our buddy Hacksaw in the first match. Uh, Meltzer uh, suggested that possibly he was working hurt here. Um, what do you remember about working with uh, with Jim? Oh, gosh, I've had so many matches with Jim Duggan, and, and uh, Jim is, Jim's the best. I mean, he is a, a great, I mean, to this day, a great friend. You know, I've, you know concerned, I have been concerned about his health. And I think he's doing much better. He is. Uh, and uh, but I'm Doug, Duggan and I, we had so much fun in Mid South. It was just, I don't know. There's a so, lot of story. There's a there's a lot of stories there. But he was just, uh, he's just always bigger than life, you know. Uh, and and you know, ended up being, you know. And when he went when he first started, I mean, I was there. And oh my gosh, it was. You talk about, you know. Uh, rough around the edges. <laughs> There's a guy that had played, you know, had, you know, played college football, and uh, you know, he 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 had a little bit of pro, right? Yeah, played for the uh, Falcons uh, yeah. briefly, and yeah, yeah, and then comes into wrestling, and you know, it's kind of like uh, every now and then I have to remind me, Jim, it's a work. <laughs> it's a work. So look, I don't want to talk about it now uh cuz we yeah. are going to cover it on an episode, but man, folks, go out of your way to see the tuxedo match between uh Ted and and Duggan uh <laughs> because it is something else. We are going to do a full episode on that uh sometime soon. So so we'd stay tuned for that. Uh but yeah, it's great. And look, uh I I love Jim Duggan. Such a great person. And he's about to get a, a big push here in the WWF. Uh he won the first Royal Rumble. Uh, a couple months earlier, and he's going to knock Andre the Giant out on TV here shortly after this. Uh, Hogan's about to leave. He's he's going to go uh, to Hollywood, I think, for a few months, or he's he's having a kid. It was some, something to that effect where Hogan's going to be gone here after WrestleMania for a while. Um, did you see potential in Jim being able to maybe carry the banner as a top babyface in the company? Um, I didn't see it coming, uh, but I mean, yeah, I, I mean, you know, Jim... I mean, you know, it's all about it's, it's, you know, Jim is not a great technical wrestler. You know, I mean, talk, people talk about me and me, me, being a great technician in the ring and all that stuff too. Well, okay. Thank you very much. But Jim is bigger than life in mm-hmm. terms of charisma. I mean, you, you know, you can have all the, you can have all, all the, you, that you need. And if you don't have charisma, you got nothing. Right. Jim Duggan had charisma, you know, coming, coming out his backside. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, just, just bigger than life and uh, in person as well. 
Hey, a quick aside. Did you hear about the uh, the home intruder at Jim's house that Jim handled? Uh, yeah, yes, I, I did. You know, that guy, that guy, whoever he was, it's the <laughs> wrong house. <laughs> I don't care how old Jim Duggan is. I don't care if he's just waking up from a nap. <laughs> like, give whatever the circumstances are, you don't want to break into that house. Oh, uh, oh no, uh-uh. Hilarious. Uh, so uh, next you come out for Hogan versus Andre in a match that would end in a uh, double elimination and give you the bye headed into the semifinal round. Uh, but before we get to the semifinal, you face Don Morocco with Billy Graham at his side. Uh, your match with Duggan was just over five minutes, and it's the same case here with this one. Uh, I don't really see us talking about Don Morocco very often on this podcast. What did you think of him? Uh, you know what? I had, you know, I, and that was one of the few times I ever worked with Don. And, and I, I enjoyed it. I mean, it was, you know, I mean, yeah, he was, he was, yeah, he was good. He's a good guy. I mean, or he wouldn't have been there. A, a perfect perspective. If, if he didn't belong there, he would not have been there. And yeah, I mean, yeah. he was, he was a big jacked up guy. He had Billy Graham as his second, who's a huge star. So really kind of, kind of a cool, uh, a cool thing for you to get to experience. Um, all right, we've arrived at the main event. Bob Euchre is back alongside Vanna White to do the ring introductions. Did you have any inter- interaction with these folks, or were you just too damn busy that day? Uh, no, I, I just I just met them and said hello. That's about it. <laughs> <laughs> see, I mean, you know, when, when you're about to go into the biggest match of your career, I don't see you, you know, going around yeah. socializing. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I had no time for any socializing. I mean, it's like I, three matches, man, let me tell you. That's what I tell everybody, I said, uh, hey kids, so you wrestled in WrestleMania? I said, yeah, congratulations. Have you wrestled three times in one WrestleMania? <laughs> Talk to me when you um, do it. Who else can you? Uh, who else can you? Who else do you know that's done that? <laughs> Not too many. Well, we've got the final two minutes of your final match that evening against Randy Savage. It's our only clip this week. Let's check it out. Suplex coming up. He nailed him with it. One, two, row. Came out the back door. Well, Macho's got a lot of resilience. He's still kicking out. Andre complaining to the referee about the count. Remember, this match is no time limit. It'll go till there's a winner. Absolutely. Scoop up by DiBiase slam. Going to the outside. Very high. DiBiase is going to the top. Macho Man beating. Oh, he caught him. Look at Savage going to the outside. He's up there on the top. He's going for the elbow. The Floyd elbow now. missed it. DiBiase out of there. Macho went too quick for that elbow. He thought he could end it quick. Maybe that's what he has to do. He may not have enough in him. DiBiase going for the sleeper hole. There it is. He's got it on. But right near the ropes is the Macho Man. Oh, look out. Here comes the Hulkster. Oh. Oh, he clobbered him. So there that it was. was. That was awesome. You know, that and that was the beginning of a, one of the best runs in I, I ever had in my life. It's such know? a cool, cool moment, a cool moment for Randy, cool moment for you. Uh, you know, it's the main event. Who cares who wins and lo- or loses? It's this awesome moment. You're kind of you're putting over Savage for what's about to be a big run. And as you said, you're about to start a hell of a run yourself. Yes. Man, it was awesome. I don't know about you though, Ted. Uh, the ultimate babyface just cheated to win. 
there. Uh, Hulk Hogan used a chair, <laughs> which, <laughs> which a lot. It's funny. A lot of fans pointed out over the years, like, man, Hogan kind of cheated a lot. <laughs> like he would like rake people's backs and rake their eyes and hit them with chairs and stuff. I don't know. It's just funny because he's like uh, the Superman babyface type. Um, yeah, so like a heel, <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, so, you know, it's the era of huge guys. And I've heard a lot of people say over the years that Savage, you know, he's skinny. Uh, you know, he wasn't this big old jacked up guy. What did you think of him as the new flag bearer for the company? Uh, I thought he was great. Uh, you know, again, again, is, you know, professional wrestling, it's not, you know, you got to look at everything, you know, it's mm-hmm. kind of like, uh, and Vince, and that's the other thing is Vince liked big guys. I mean, I mean, Andre, I mean, Hogan, him. Vince always liked big, well-built guys. And, and, and Savage wasn't, you know, I mean, he was well-built, but he wasn't, he wasn't a giant. Lean, but, yeah. but he had everything else. And that, it was kind of like, uh, I respected, uh, uh, his work uh, immensely. And again, um, uh, you know, uh, he's another guy like me who grew up in the business, whose father was a wrestler and, uh, and that's something else that he and I had in common. And, and, and so, you, you know, the same psychology of wrestling we shared, and that was evident in our match. So it was cool, man. You guys had that kind of kinship as both, you know, a perspective that not a lot of people get to have, you know, grew up in the business, grew up watching it and experiencing it. So really cool. Also, you know, both legitimate great athletes. He was a great baseball player. You're a hell of a football player. Uh, so your relationship with Randy overall, pretty good? good oh yeah yeah i always got along with macho man now we've heard over the years that maybe he could sometimes be a little possessive when it came to liz uh did you ever have any experiences there? I never, never never had any well i mean i mean how would you feel it's, it's kind of like you know you're you're married to this beautiful girl and she's you know and she's you know obviously they had to have their own place to dress all the time and all these guys were, I mean, he was, I, I would say, yeah, Randy was a little possessive and, and, you know, like, uh, but you know, as long as, yeah, I, I never saw anything come for that. Nothing. And I've kind of heard that it's overblown narrative. People would yeah. say like he would lock her in a closet. To me, it sounds more like she would get her own dressing room and he would stand outside of it to make sure nobody would go inside and look at well, her. Yeah. And that's what anybody would do. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, Jake and I say on our podcast all the time that wrestling back in those days was kind of like a pirate ship. And they always say, don't bring your wife on the pirate ship. Yeah. Right? yeah right. <laughs> and his wife is there. So, yeah, yeah. It, it would probably make anybody feel a little bit on edge. Right. Uh, overall, Ted, walking back to the dressing room, how did you feel like everything came off? Uh, I was I was happy. I was happy. I was relieved. Uh, I mean, because I mean, here's you know, it's kind of like. You know, a year a year earlier, I'm I'm going, man. I need to be working there. I had no idea that I would main event the next WrestleMania, and uh, you know, to, to to have that much responsibility, three three matches, and and uh, and for it to turn out the way it did, I was I was very happy and extremely relieved. So. It was kind of, you know, it's like, man, it's been great, but man, am I glad this is over. <laughs> yeah, the pressure's off for, for a little while, so. Huge, man. Huge yeah. night. Uh, biggest night of your career, would you say? Uh, one of them, for sure. Yeah, one of them, for sure. You know, um, yeah, that's be hard. that'd be hard to say. Yeah, it's, yeah, you know, but, off the top of your head, gosh, after 20 years in the business, I'm sure it's hard to just narrow it down to one particular night right well i mean and I, I of course to say that okay you main evented at wrestlemania and I, I i think i main evented too me me and uh um me and irs you know had a tag team match against uh, hogan and was it uh beefcake that's right yes and i can't remember was that wrestlemania nine it was at yeah. uh in in vegas in vegas yeah and uh that wasn't as, to me that wasn't as big a match and maybe it's because it was a tag, but uh, but yeah, that would be another highlight. I mean, obviously, anytime you're in a a main event at WrestleMania, it's 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 significant. Right, big night, featured spot. You know, it's uh, who can who can feel bad about that? Uh, so Ted, we're running over. I do want to ask one fan question though. Uh, again, follow us over at Ted DiBiase Pod on all of our social media platforms. You can get your questions in. 
and uh, hopefully we'll be able to address as many as we possibly can here moving forward. Peter D asks, you faced Hacksaw, Morocco, then Savage. All three had different styles. Was it hard to adapt to three matches against three styles in one night? Um, not really. Not really because, I mean, that's, you, you know, that's what a pro wrestler does. You know, anytime. And it's like, uh, that's why I would, uh, I would watch people. I would watch, I would go out and watch people who I hadn't wrestled before. Mm-hmm. I would, I would watch their matches and I would take note of what I thought they did well and what they didn't do well. And I would try to keep what they didn't do so well out of the match and, and just highlight their strengths. I mean, and as a, uh, as a professional, you know, whether I was babyface or a heel, uh, and I, I mean, that's just, you know, that's the way I was taught. And, uh, you know, from that, that's, that's, that's old school. And, uh, so yeah, I, you know, I tried to keep doing that. Well, we're going to try to keep doing uh, great episodes here with uh, Everybody's Got a Pod. We'll be back next week for another episode. But in the meantime, again, we'd love to have you follow us on social media. It's at Ted DiBiase Pod on all social media platforms. Also, follow Ted at MDM Ted DiBiase on all his social media. Follow me at Marcus P. D'Angelo on Twitter. And follow Premier Streaming Network at Watch on Premiere on Twitter and at Premier Streaming Network on Instagram and Facebook. Again, if you'd like to get this podcast on video with no commercials and get access access to a ton of sports entertainment and other shows get over to premierstreamingnetwork.com sign up for premier plus and i can guarantee you won't regret it a reminder please go to our youtube page youtube.com forward slash at everybody's got a pod we've got this awesome stuff that we're giving away and we're going to continue to give stuff away so sign up now and you will reap the benefits later i am certain of it dad another really fun episode man i'm looking forward to another one next week me too and gang always remember Everybody's got a price for the million dollar man. (laughs) (laughs) We'll catch you guys next week right here on Everybody's Got a Pod.